my first day at Miami was not was not fun. It wasn't like it was probably one of the worst days of my life. I remember I called my dad and I said, um, I don't think I'm ready for this. Like, I just don't think I'm ready for this training. I don't think I'm ready for this running. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we're talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today we're joined by University of Miami Hall of Famer and former big league all-star first baseman Yonder Alonso. Yonder's story is bigger than baseball. His parents defected from Cuba when Yonder was nine, bringing him and his sister to America, and no one tells that story better than Yonder himself. He wrote a great piece in the Players' Tribune a few years back that we referenced a few times on the pod. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. Um, just a r- really powerful piece. On the pod, Yonder talks about baseball helping him acclimate to life in the States, multiple College World Series trips to the U, and then having to learn the outfield while being blocked by Joey Votto at first base during his time in the Reds organization, which sounds, in his words, sounds like an adventure. He also talks returning to the city of Miami as an all-star for the 2017 All-Star Game at Marlins Park, which, uh, if you remember that All-Star Game, is one of the coolest stories of that year, uh, that All-Star Game, and and knowing Yonder's backstory uh, made for a really cool story on this podcast. Huge thanks to him for taking the time. Hope everyone enjoys it. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. College baseball season is in full swing. Good luck uh, facing Vandy, everybody. Joe Healy and Teddy Cahill and the rest of the BA crew are on top of all that coverage, as well as spring training prospect coverage. Great stuff at BA. Also, make sure you subscribe to the magazine. The MLV preview issue is headed your way soon. For future guest info this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Yonder Alonso. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he's a first-round pick out of the University of Miami in 2008, former big league all-star Yonder Alonzo. Yonder, thanks so much for joining From Phenom to the Farm. You got it, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been very excited for this ever uh, ever since you reached out. Um, you recently announced your retirement. Uh, you didn't you didn't play last year. You know, weird weird year for everyone in the world. But um, you know, how is how has retirement been treating you? Yeah, I mean, uh, retirement is great, man. Uh, you know, I kind of, uh, by the end of the year, I was, I decided that, you know, it was time for me to hang it up. Um, clearly COVID didn't help as much, but, you know, I feel really good. Uh, my body feels, and, you know, for, for, for whatever it means, I mean, I'm back here in Miami now, I'm giving back, uh, to the kids here in the community, um, you know, just, just relaxing, trying to spend some time with, with my family and my loved ones. So just enjoying it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to get right into it. Um, talk about, talk about your career. Um, but I think that whole story starts, uh, you had a, a great piece in the players tribune, you know, uh, a few years ago, your story is pretty well known, but can you just kind of walk me through the night you came to America? Because in the piece it's emotional, it's harrowing. It, and I think it resonates with a lot of the, you know, the native Cuban population in the country. Yeah. You know, it's funny that, that, that story, I was talking about it today. There was a, I was, <laughs> there's a person down downstairs where I, where I stay at. And he was like, Hey man, I, I read your, I read your piece. So, um, it's pretty funny that when I wrote it, I actually went to Cuba in 2017 and I had gone there in December and, uh, you know, when I got back from Cuba, I was like, man, you know, I'm just going to write a story about myself and, and kind of let people know like my background and where I'm from. And, and I think it was more because, you know, I just had a, uh, my, my first, my first child, my son, Troy, who's five now. And I was like, I want to write something to him that he can kind of see where, where, you know, my family and like my background and everybody that like where we come from, you know? And and not only for him, but like for kids who who are just looking for tomorrow, right? Who have a chance to, you know, maybe that today wasn't the best of days, and and, and tomorrow could be that day for them. So you know, they can kind of take my my side of the story and just see, you know, how when we had nothing, we still were able to 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 find that that pure heart, you know, good soul, and just 
the American dream, which was like to work, work, work. And, and with hard work, you can get anything you want. So, um, but yeah, that night, that night was, uh, it was a crazy night. Um, I was obviously very young, but, uh, I do remember quite a bit of it. And, and one of my biggest things, which I do talk about that is, how we just didn't take anything. Like we had no clothes, we had no money, you know, there was no cell phones. There's no, like, we didn't know how, how many days we were going to wear the same clothes. Right. And I think like, well, how is that possible? Well, that's, that's, that was the reality of the things, right. We were coming to this country. We, we had uh, very few friends here in, in Miami and we just didn't know what we were even going to eat on our next meal. So um, very transpiring, very, you know, I think looking back now, um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't change a thing. I definitely wouldn't change a thing. The only thing would be, uh, I guess, maybe maybe have a little bit of more clothes, you know, <laughs> to take with me. Um, I remember it was it was a pretty tough week when we got here, um, which nobody really like I never talk about, you know, how hard it was that week and how we lived like in a, in a very small office type style place for years, you know, and me and my sister would, would, you know, sleep on the couch and my parents, it was a one bedroom, one little kitchen, one bathroom, and the couch was there. And me and my sister slept there until we were like, I, I want to say like fifth grade, fourth grade or something like that. So, um, which was about like three or four years. <clears throat> um, and, and that for me was like, I really learned like the love of family and, and the togetherness. And, you know, you, you're always a lot stronger. I try to tell like baseball guys, all this, you're always a lot stronger with 25 guys on the roster than with one. And, and for me, like that, that goes such a long ways because it's like, you're always stronger with your family than alone, you know, or wherever you're at in, in that time or in that moment, like, I just feel you're just better off with people around, you know, people that can help you people that tools and, and the, the tools are like, friends and and mentors and and professors and coaches these people can always help you and your teammates so i'm always trying to push that on on, on guys and and just because of my learning curves on it so hopefully uh that that can transpire into something well and that's the theme of that piece is is what family means to you the sacrifices your parents made um it's an incredible piece i recommend for anyone who hasn't read it go Go read it, but um, you know we're gonna we're gonna talk through a lot of what you went through in the piece. Um, as you started kind of immersing yourself into American culture, what was your your baseball experience like? Because you're you're adjusting to a new country, you're learning a new language. How did baseball help ease that transition? Man, you know that was home. Like baseball for me was home. Why? Because a lot had to do because of the language. You know, I think the language barrier for me was very hard at first. Where you go to a school and well, let me let me sidetrack on that. You're home and in Cuba, you're you're wake up in the morning and boom, you're out on the street. Like you're playing with your friends. Every there's, you know, kids all over the place. There's people out on the street. Um, well, when you get here to the States, there's none of that. Like people just are not outside hanging out, you know, playing with a ball. Like it just doesn't happen like that. So I had a tough time adjusting to that. And then when I got to school, there's just no the English part of it was gone, right? I didn't know any English whatsoever. So that those couple of years were, which I learned English within a year, but it was very, very hard for me um, to learn that. But with that being said, as soon as I got into a baseball field, as soon as I put on a baseball, my baseball pants, and as soon as I got dressed for practice, that for me was, you know, I, I knew I was home. Like there, there's only one language in baseball, you know, and that's to go play the game. You know, there you, you can be with. I mean, I've played with all types of of people from all over the world, and when they say play ball, everybody knows what play ball means. So for me, like that was my home, and that was where I felt at, at ease. And I wanted to play baseball every single day. You know, and I was ten years old, and it was like, take me to the field, take me to the field, Dad, take me to practice. And you know, it was hard because my parents were working during the day, they were working at night, they were working during the weekends. So we had to find a lot of people who, who you know, are friends even till today where they would take care of us and, and pick us up from school, take us to practice. So, um, yeah, it was baseball for me. You know, being on a baseball field for me was just home. 
And growing up in Miami, Miami's a huge city. It has everything you want from a sports perspective. It has right. you know, a baseball team that wins two championships during your childhood. It has an NFL team. has a basketball team. But I think looming large over everything in Miami is the U. When did, when did the University of Miami like, get on your radar? When did you become a fan? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything about Miami growing up. Like, for me, Miami was – I just never felt like I even had the chance to even go there. There was such a powerhouse that I felt like I was such a long ways from that. But, you know, as my as my game developed and got better and better and I got stronger and older, and uh, I want to say, like, about my sophomore year in high school is when I realized, like, hey, I, I can go to Miami. And then I ended up going to, you know, my first games at Miami at the light. Um, and for me, like, that, just walking in, I, I don't know if, if, if a lot of people know about the University of Miami, but the University of Miami and the baseball field is located like in the heart of Miami. You know, it is next to one of the busiest streets, which is US one. And, you know, you can see those lights from a mile away. So Friday night, Saturday night, those lights are on, you know, it's going to be a packed house. It doesn't matter who they're playing. And people know about Miami baseball, you know, Miami baseball is been considered as, one of the premier division one schools in, in, in our, I guess our lifetime and the history of college baseball. So when you talk about Miami, you talk about a lot of big leaguers. You talk about a, a lot of players who have come through there who have had great careers, not only at Miami, but in the professional level. So for me, it was, it was pretty cool to, to, you know, kind of get recruited by them. And as soon as they recruited me, I was like, as soon as they offer me something, I'm going. I was going to say, was it even a hard decision to commit? Like, was there anything, anything else? No, you? no, I didn't care. Like they could have offered me, I'm telling you, man, they could have offered me a dollar and I would have gone. <laughs> and I would have said, whatever, I, I'm just going to deal with it. And a lot of that is people don't even know this, but a lot of that is I was fighting to get a scholarship at Miami so bad because I couldn't afford to go to another school. Like my parents would never be able to see me. Just, just didn't have the means to go and visit me. And I didn't have the means to come back for Christmas and go see my parents or, you know, like, like fall ball, fall ball's over and you go to Miami and you go back home. Like I just didn't have the luxury to do that. So it was like either Miami or I'm getting drafted and I'm going. So as soon as Miami uh, kind of offered me that um, I took it and I was like, all right, you know, that's, I'm set, you know, I can go to Miami, go to school and hopefully just develop my game and, 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 you know, be where I want to be. So the draft comes around the twins, my beloved Minnesota twins take you in the 16th round. At this point, your parents are working multiple jobs, hard jobs. You're working the jobs with them. You're helping out, um, you know, and you'll eventually continue helping when you go to college. When the selection actually happened, what was the conversation with the twins? And then what was the conversation with your parents? How difficult was it to give up that opportunity to help immediately and kind of bet on your future? You know, I wanted to sign. I wanted to sign out of high school. And this this is like nobody, like not that many people know this, but my parents know this. Obviously, my sister knows this and people who are close to us know this. I wanted to sign out of high school. And it was because we needed the money so bad. And they were offering like 200 grand. Like they weren't offering anything. And I wanted to sign and, and I was like, I needed to get my parents out of, you know, these crazy jobs. And I wanted to, you know, get them a house, which I thought I can just get them a house with this and with this type of money. And, and hopefully they can be comfortable. And my parents and my representatives at the time, they were like, no, no, no. Like, you're not signing. You're going to Miami. You're going to get stronger. You're going to go to school. You don't know what can happen tomorrow. Um, you can break a leg. Something can happen to you. And next thing you know, your career is over and you don't even have a, a great degree from, from this, this place. So you're going to go to school. And, and I was, I was kind of forced to go there um, at that moment because I, I did feel like my talents, like my game was pretty good where I can get to the big leagues. I, I felt like I could be in the big leagues within two or three years and go do my thing. So they said, if you can get to the big leagues in two or three years, why don't you just go to Miami and then you get drafted in the first round and maybe you have to spend, you know, a year, in the minor leagues, and then you'll get to the big leagues regardless. But you already have three years of your education, and you're going to be ready, more ready for that, more seasoned for the professional lifestyle. And I ended up going to Miami, and it was obviously, thank God, uh, for my family, it was the best decision I ever made. 
What do you think, knowing what you know now, especially knowing how the minor leagues work, knowing how professional ball works, what do you think you picked up at Miami or what do you think you built on in Miami that that you wouldn't have gotten in the pro ranks those first three years besides like $4.2 million? Uh, um, what didn't I not get? I mean, I, I feel like I got everything I needed to get to prepare me not only for the professional life, but for my my adulthood life as well. Like my, my, just my life in general. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the biggest things you learn there is work ethic, um, routine, uh, being, being just committed to the program, being committed, not only to the program, but yourself and, and to the city of Miami and to your teammates. I, I think people, it, it's so, we, we talk so highly on Miami, but you don't realize like the, you're not only playing for your name, like you're, you're playing for the city of Miami and the city of Miami. They're just not, you know, when, when, if we don't make regionals or if we don't make the super regionals or we don't go to Omaha, like it is a downfall year. Like people are upset. People are not happy about it. The baseball world, the baseball community in Miami, just they're embarrassed. And, and I think, you know, you kind of take that to heart and you realize that you, you got to do everything possible here and you have to close every door and nothing can go unwritten and make sure that you are ready completely to not only be a good player, but be a winner while you're there at Miami. Had you been out of the state before, before attending Miami? Uh, yeah, I actually, I had gone to play in some tournaments um, in Georgia, uh, in Atlanta for the Marietta tournaments. And Please I had gone God. to the area. Yeah. And I had gone to the area code games in California, Long Beach. So I had gone a few times out of state. Um, and like that for me was insane. So what was it like when you got to Miami and they were like, okay, our main goal is to get to Nebraska in June. <laughs> you know, my first, my first day at Miami was not, was not fun. It wasn't like, it was probably one of the worst days of my life. I remember I called my dad and I said, um, I don't think I'm ready for this. Like, I just don't think I'm ready for this training. I don't think I'm ready for this running. I mean, they ran us so much there, man. Like, it was insane how much we trained. Like we were waking up at five thirty. We have five thirty in the morning lifts, and then we had class, and we had class from eight to twelve. Then you had to be into the field by one thirty. You had early work, then practice, then late work if you were scheduled for that. Then late running. So after practice, we would run, and then um, then we had a study hall. And mind you, my parents, I, I didn't have like the scholarship where you had like food or anything like that. So my parents would give me five bucks and say, hey, that's all we can give you. Make it work. So most of the time I was going no breakfast, going to get some lunch at McDonald's because that's all I could afford. And here we are. I'm about to throw this whole thing up. So my first like month at Miami, it, it was hard. Like it, it was it was rough. And how often were you having to, did you have to go back and help out your parents with work and stuff too? Oh, we were doing like two or three times a week. Yeah. So that on top of all that training, all that class. So we, I would go, I would go, yeah. So Saturdays and Sundays I would go and like clean and I would go and like just help them out. And like, nobody knew about that stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't really like want to tell people about, about that stuff or what I was doing on the side. But yeah, we had to make ends meet. Like we, we, we needed to pay rent. <laughs> so that was my dad and my and myself, like I knew I needed to help him because if I didn't go, because let's say like he he knew I would get home and I was just exhausted. Like he would go by himself, but it would take him double the amount of time. So I would just suck it up and be like, listen, if I go do it, we'll be out of there within you know two hours rather than four hours. Him by himself, and then he's got to work, he's got to do everything as well. So I'm just gonna go and help him. So um, yeah, it was it was tough. You you kind of as you get stronger, as you get in better shape. Um, things get a little easier and you kind of manhandle the, the actual workouts and, and, you know, obviously you're getting ready for the season. So, um, and on top of that, you had to study and you had to get good grades. So I, I didn't want to be in study hall. So my, my point was, you know, let me be in study hall for this first semester and then get out just so I can have more leeway time to rest and also help my parents out. So you, you make it through that tough first fall and right away you're in the lineup, you're an impact bat in the lineup. Um, I was doing some research before this. Y'all have the, like a very weird regional. Uh, you're the two seed, you beat San Francisco and then we you go won. To Nebraska. 
Yeah, well, and then you, yeah, you go to Nebraska, but you're the you're the two seed. You beat the three seed San Francisco, and then you win two games against Manhattan College, which I was today years old when I learned there was a Manhattan College. Yeah, uh, <laughs> news to they me. Actually, they actually went and upset. They upset Nebraska, and then Nebraska loses the next game, and we're like, "This is ours. Like we we can we can go to the super regionals and." You know, when we went to that regional, we were good, but we weren't like, we weren't that good. Um, later on, I, I think after that regional is like when we blossom and and we felt like, you know, these I, I want to say these kids became like young men, and and I guess the juniors that were there and seniors became like men, and we were able to just like gel and just that's it. Like we were, we were a tree, you know, and and we were strong as hell and. It was like it, it was all of us, our roster against whoever was coming next. It just didn't matter. Like we were going to win. And that was the attitude we took on for the for the super regionals who happened to be at Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. And that was like a surreal moment as an 18-year-old going to Oxford, Mississippi in front of you know 18,000 fans for the first time I'm playing in like that crowd hostile environment um and you guys dropped the first game we dropped the first game a tough game like we were winning the t the first game like the whole game we were winning we ended up losing it and i'll never forget i hit a homer that day and i'm a freshman and they they call me up to talk to the media and they said so what are you looking forward to you know tomorrow and i said looking forward to I'm looking forward to Sunday to piling up in your mound. We're not only going to win tomorrow, we're going to win the next day. And that was like on the headlines the next day in the newspaper. I'm sure deep South Mississippi media took that. Oh well. man, they ran with that. And they had like, I'll never forget. They had like in right field, they had boats uh, in right field with our, with our pictures at that moment. At that time, Facebook was just big. It was really big. So they had our they had our Facebook pictures up in huge cardboard boxes and it was hilarious. But at that moment, I was like, oh, boy, like, what did I what did I get myself and my teammates into? And you know what? Like we ended up winning the Saturday game and then Sunday came around and we ended up beating up, beating them as well. And, you know, when that whole thing was over. Um, we had a lot of respect on that stadium and those players on the opposing side, like they knew, you know, we came to play and, you know, it was such a hostile environment, but we still made, made it out alive. And, and, you know, we were, we were on our way to Omaha. So you make it to Omaha that year as a freshman. You also went back as a junior. What is, what's like the big difference in being a freshman in Omaha versus being a junior in Omaha, besides the fact that knowing that when you were a junior, you'd already been drafted, it was going to be your last college game. So what, what were the kind of the takeaways? Was it easier to process as a junior? Did the fact that you knew it was going to be your last time make it more difficult? You're just more prepared. I think as a freshman, you're, you're taking all of the fact that you've been watching the College World Series game since you were 10 years old, right? And you've watched the Aubrey Huff, the Alex Cora, getting, getting, you know, crying on the infield after LSU hit that homer. Um, so there's so much history for Miami at the, at, at, you know, the College World Series that you, you take that in as soon as you, you, you know, hit the freeway and you're walking into that stadium. You understand the atmosphere, the amount of people that are there. And, and you really got to you get shocked for a second. You know, when you step foot on your first at bat, you're like, you know, ESPN, like you're seeing the broadcasters you see on Sunday night baseball there. So it's, it's a first time shock for you as a junior. You're saying the hell, the heck with all that. Like, I don't care about none of that. I'm here to win. This is going to probably to be my last time here. My last time wearing a Miami uniform. I want to leave my legacy. I want to make sure that I can say I want it. You know, we want it. We want this as a team. So as a junior, you're definitely more prepared. And I think, I think, and I think as a junior, you also have to prepare the young guys, which I felt like when I was a freshman, they did do that as well. Um, but myself as a junior, we, I think we had more juniors as well and seniors um so we were just trying to do our best job you know and you it's a luck of the draw is who you face who's hot who's not who gets cold who doesn't who pitches and makes outs and who doesn't you know at the end, who plays clean baseball 
And uh, unfortunately, you know, we we didn't do that on both times that I, that I went to the World Series, but it was a, a definitely a great experience. What's that? What's the last game like for a drafted junior? Because like I remember my last college game, I knew there was going to be no more baseball after that. So for you, you're losing at the College World Series, but you're a first round draft pick. Suddenly that's staring in front of you. What are the mixed? How do you process those mixed emotions? Well, you're definitely not think you're not thinking so much about my next step. I think you get so caught up in, you know, the draft was happening during the Super Regional. So I'm so caught up in everything I've done throughout the year that I don't really have that moment to 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 really think about, you know, where am I going to start? You know, am I going to high A or double A? Like that's like we'll get there when we get there. You know, and I think they do such a good job on Miami, the coaches do, into really, you know, focusing on on what's happening at the moment. You know, and then for me, it was a super regional, getting ready for the super regional. And then we ended up winning. And and then after that, it just switches over to the World Series. And you, you just don't have the time to really think about that stuff. Sure. I think when when we lost that game against Stanford and I'm on second base, like, I, you know, we, it was a third out and I took it all in. I was I stood there. And I looked around and I said, all right, you know, this is going to be the last time you're going to wear the Miami uniform. Just really enjoy it. Understand that you did everything you could do for three years there. Um, and hopefully, you know, they can take something from it and, and the younger guys can take something from it. And, and you know, we can move forward. So the the Reds do, the, you know, they draft you seventh overall after all your parents had been through after all you'd been through what did the what did the first check mean to you after working <laughs> way through you have to work yeah. your way through college having to turn down that bonus money as a senior in high school what did what did seeing that mean to you uh yeah i i didn't really i i didn't really i come from such a humble family and and such a, a my family has never seen that as a, a way of being happy for me, it was more about being comfortable by taking my parents away from that, the hardship that they had to overcome um, to, to get me to where I'm at, to get my sister at the University of Miami. Um, you know, I think the opportunities obviously opened up more. Um, I, I think for me, it wasn't so much the first check. Um, I think for me, it was the day that I gave the keys to, to my parents for their new house. I think for me, like that, that was a moment that, you know, I remember growing up, it was like my parents arguing on, you know, where are we going to get the $500 to pay for rent? You know, like, where are we going to get the 50 bucks to pay for rent? Like, we don't have the money for um, to pay the electricity today. You know, like, I think for me, like, that was where I found my joy into really letting them know, like, that's not going to be an issue anymore. And the American dream, you know, everything that we battle for and that they sacrificed for us, it was like the that moment where the American dream, right? It, for the Cubans and the, the Cuban community, I think the American dream is to buy a house, to buy an American house, a house here in America. And, and I was able to do those things. And for me, like that was the moment where I was like, yeah, this, this is very satisfying for sure. So that same summer you sign, because you, you, you get the comfort, you get the bonus, you're, you know, your family's good to go, but now it's time to climb to the big leagues. That same summer you sign, which the, you know, the trek up the minors for a polished, you know, college first round bat, the timeline is not too long comparable to, you know, if you'd signed in high school. That same summer, Joey Votto breaks out. He's young, he's under team control for a while, and the NL has no DH. As a young guy fresh in the organization, like do you pay attention to all that? Like, did, were you even keeping tabs, like saying like, Hey, this guy is sitting in my spot. Well, you know, I was on the 40 man roster, so I had big league deals. So I was, I was on the 40 man roster. I, I knew that at some point my options were going to come to an end. And I, and I felt like I was going to play my way into the, into that roster, the, that, that big league roster. It didn't matter for me. I mean, I knew that my back needed to find a hole. So whether it was in left field or third base or first base, it just didn't matter if I kept hitting. I was going to be in a lineup somewhere. So I definitely noticed that. But me and Joey, I mean, Joey took me under his wing. And, man, what a great treat that was for me as my first year in professional baseball to have Joey Votto and Jay Bruce take me under their wing and be like, all right, man, this is how we do things around here. And 
I, I thought that was great for me. So I, I definitely enjoyed it. And, and, you know, my days in Cincinnati were just an absolute blessing. I was going to ask, I can't imagine a better guy to kind of pick their brain about hitting than Joey Votto, who takes such a cerebral, very measured approach. Yeah, you know, I had him, and then in, in high A, I had Ken Griffey Sr. as my hitting coach. So I had, <laughs> I remember <laughs> one day, uh, Ken Griffey Sr. takes me into the batting cage, and I was struggling with the ball inside. And he's like, come on, kid, I'm going to teach you the same thing I taught my son. And I was like, Sr., with all due respect, man, I'm not junior. <laughs> and and I thought it was hilarious. He he started he got a kick out of it, but he was just trying to teach me how to be short to that ball and kind of hammer that ball on the you know on the pitch inside. Just just have that top hand, just hit that ball, and just teaching me the ways, man. And and I had so many good you know. There's one thing about Cincinnati, man, that they their staff like the coaches they have in the minor leagues and the coaches they have in the big leagues. They are I think one of the premier coaches in all of baseball i mean you have ken griffey senior and then you have eric davis you know being there and you and you have um david bell you know he played there and you know the list goes on and on but it, it was incredible to see the amount of coaches that that were not only played in cincinnati in their days but you you got to see them and, and you knew like you know you saw joe morgan there um he was my locker mate at one point in the big leagues um, Pete Rose would come by and watch a game. So for me, like I, I got such a great treat out of that, um, uh, in Cincinnati that you can just feel the history in that club. Well, your first year in pro ball, I, I've got to ask, you're the first guy in the show who has played in the Hawaii winter league and it's last, yeah. the last season of the Hawaii winter league. How much are current prospects missing out by there being no Hawaii winter league or is the AFL a good substitute? Um, listen, I, I think. When I when I was there, I would say this sounds very crazy, but I'm from Miami, so the beach for me, you can have the beach. For, I live in paradise. So um, going to Hawaii, I was I was so bummed by it. I was like, Hawaii, like what am I gonna do over there? It's 12 hours away. <laughs> I can't talk to my family. I can't talk to anybody. I'm gonna be by myself. Um, so I, but you know, the baseball was great. There was about five teams. And we basically played each other. Um, it was the first the first place I went to go play after I signed was Hawaii. And everybody was like, man, you're going to love it, enjoy it, this and that. And I'm just here with the mindset of, you know, if I hit 400 here, I'm going to be in the big leagues next year. So I was so locked in on trying to do my part. But, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it, though. Um, I met some really good friends uh, that, that I even have till today. Um, so it, it was definitely a, a, a great experience and I, and I wish they had it again, you know, maybe not there, like maybe they can do it like, you know, Puerto Rico, uh, or switch it up like Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, California. I definitely think that a league should happen. Um, and maybe just kind of switch it up and, you know, one year make it in Florida and another year make it in, in, in Arizona. So it's definitely possible. I mean, I think the, the the guys and the prospects, they all definitely, uh, I'm sure they'll welcome it. So it will be great. Yeah, I had to ask because not many, I mean, not many more, you know, the, it's been uh, it's been over 13 years since the last Hawaii. Yeah, it has. Right? I feel old. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, okay, so, well, before 2010, we, you know, we had talked about Joey Votto sitting there in, in Cincinnati. He gets a pretty big deal pretty soon after that. So, he's, I mean, he's still there. How much outfield? had you played in your life kind of what how much effort goes into that what's the how difficult is it to learn a new position kind of on the fly oh my gosh that was terrible it was it was awful um i was scared out of my mind um first game i start in the big leagues i'm playing left field in wrigley field on a day game Oof. so it's like here you go kid just get ready to fail so um, I was panicking out of my behind. Uh, Billy Hatcher is the outfield coach, the first base coach for the Cincinnati Reds at the moment, at the time. And he was like, kid, you know, just don't worry about it. Um, you just catch to what you can catch to and throw to the cutoff. That's it. Let Drew Stubb, who was the center fielder at the time, catch everything else. I was like, all right, cool. No problem. Who he's, he would be pretty good at that. He's, he can fly. Flying. Yeah, he was flying. First pitch. This little kid, Campana, hits an absolute rocket down the line by third base. And I'm here going to try to cut it off. 
And as I'm trying to, this is the first pitch of the game. I was every, the, the, the whole stadium is rocking, right? It's on national TV too. Can't national that. TV. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I go and I try to cut it and I ended up banging my head against the, the brick wall and left. The ball gets over my head, uh, goes over me or under my legs. And he gets an inside the park home run. Ooh. And I think like the, that was like the first pitch. And I go, well, there it is. Welcome to the show. I ended up hitting a, a homer um, that day, but I was, I was terrified playing left field, but um, I remember it was not top 10. And, and I thought that was like, I, I was so, I was so happy that I was on ESPN, but I was obviously not happy that it was because of that. So um, but it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool story. And, and I'm sure I would tell my my son about one day um, how I was embarrassed in front of 40,000 fans. I bet that clip is still around there. Somewhere. Oh, it's still out there, find. but I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't. I bet you. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you when I'm done recording. Just so-, <laughs> um, so that 2011 big league tenure, though, you've been a mainstay in every lineup you've ever been in. Yeah. How do you remain positive in a situation where you're not only blocked at your main position, but you're, you know, you're, you're blocked for a long time because it's a top five player in baseball and you're, you know, you're having a deal with left field. How do you, you know, how do you continue to improve in that situation? How do you remain positive when it's, there's, there's going to be no first base opening in Cincinnati for a long time? Yeah, there wasn't going to be that, but I was, there was going to be nine position players that were going to hit. So I took it on that. I, I said, you know, maybe that's that's there. You know, Joey's there. But if I continue to hit and I get my chances and my opportunities, I got to make the best out of them. So every time I would pinch hit, you know, I was locked. You know, I was ready to go. And, and, I, and I did really well in that, in that role, um, which is a very hard role, to be honest. I was going to ask, what's kind of the art of being a pinch hitter? How do you, how do you prep for that? I feel like I was a pretty – I don't know my numbers as a pinch hitter, but I, I feel like it was okay. Um, they were okay. So, and, and I felt like it was, I remember Lenny Harris, who's a Miami guy, Miami native, and, and he would play for the Marlins a lot, obviously. And he would talk about it. And I remember him when I was younger, he would say, you have to be ready for the first pitch. There could be a pinch hit moment where that first pitch is the only pitch you're going to get. And for me, like that was, that was the hit right there. I remembered that. And I would say, if you get a fastball, you better rock it. Like, it doesn't matter if it's out of the zone. Like, you got to be ready for the fastball. And that's how I went. I went with the attitude of, you know, staying on my pitch, the heater. And when I did get it, just make sure I was on it. And, and I was able to do well on that in that role. So, you know, you, you have that 2011 year, you're pinch hitting a lot, but then, you know, you, you get dealt to the Padres. Was the trade, was it just, a, was it a relief to you? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had gone that year, that off season and I had like prepared myself to be a left fielder. Like I was, I was going in the whole off season, like, you know, getting my body right. Um, you know, being that left fielder, like they, they had told me like, you're going to play left field. And so I had gone with a mentality of, you know, the Reds had just been in the playoffs for the first time and God knows how long. So I was like, you know, I'm going to have a good chance to, to be a rookie and, you know, do well i had done really well that year with for the reds i think i I had hit like 330 or something like that you know 320 or something like that i had hit like six homers in in a very short amount of time it was like 80 or 90 at bats and i was like man i can feel like i can i can have a big year in cincinnati with this club so i went with the mentality of i'm gonna be a left fielder and next thing you know i'm actually in uh i'm a huge soccer fan so i i'm going to i'm in spain watching Real Madrid play uh, Sevilla. And I get a call from Walt Jockety, who's the GM at the moment, and he says, hey, man, like, just want to let you know you've been traded. And we ended up talking for, like, 15 minutes, and he hadn't told me where I was going to get traded to. <laughs> he did. I'm like, so, Walt, so what team am I going to? And he says, oh, yeah, you're going to San Diego. And I didn't know anything about San Diego. I was like, where? Like, you sent me so far. Why not, like, somewhere closer to Miami? And he's like, man, you're going to love it there. Um, it's a great city, great baseball town. Um, you're going to be able to play there every day, first base. And there's just no better start than to start your career with San Diego. And, and really, you're going to be welcomed with open arms with Buddy Black, who was the manager at the moment and at the time. 
and you're just going to have a, a, a ball there. And I ended up, man, it was, I spent, gosh, I spent my, my longest ten, tender in, in, my, in my big league career in San Diego. So for folks counting at home, Yonder has played in Miami, Hawaii, and San Diego. Just right? nothing, just really taking the scenic route and, and, you know, Ohio, but, but incredible cities. I mean, yeah. you know, I can't take anything for granted for, from, from, you know, I, I played in Louisville, which was a very great, great town. Cincinnati was great. Um, you know, obviously as we go forward with the, with this conversation, uh, my, <laughs> my miles continue to add up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you get to San Diego, you get the starting job, you finally get a real rookie season. You were still rookie eligible at that point, despite having parts of two years in the big leagues, full season of big league, big league, ABs facing big league pitching. What kind of, after, you know, you get 150 games and what kind of hitter were you, what was your game plan headed up to the plate? Because you, you set the Padres rookie record for doubles, but home runs are less of what you'd expect from a first baseman. What were you trying to accomplish at the dish with that first year? I was just trying to stay afloat. I mean, I, it's such a grind. I think people don't realize as a rookie how much of a grind the the your first year in the big leagues is all about. I mean, listen, I, I people take for granted 162 games. People take for granted the 18 games in a row. People take for granted the amount of miles that you have to you know endure in a season and stay healthy in a season. And people don't understand the amount of struggles you go through where, you know, you get off to a bad start and you're just underwater for a month. Um, the grind in August is a real thing. Uh, people don't realize that, you know, in the minor leagues, August baseball, like it's almost winding up. You're packing your boxes to go home. Well, you have another month of that in the big, in the big leagues, like the biggest stage. And that for me was a huge grind. Like that was, that was, it taught me a lot about myself and how to just keep going just every single day, just keep going, just keep going. Um, so, but I definitely enjoyed it, man. I had a great year, my rookie year, even though I felt like when that last game was over, I felt like I needed a, a two month vacation. So, but, but I, I enjoyed my, my first year. I had a good one. I broke all tons of, uh, San Diego Padres records. Um, and, and you know, it, it was, it was fun times for sure. This might be a really broad question or like tough, but like how often do adjustments happen in the big leagues because of how many, you know, there, there's film of everything. There's stats for everything. You know, you, you know, you know, tendencies for every pitcher on, on the opposing ball club. They know all your tendencies how how often are you having to adjust what you're doing? Like, hey, I'm you know I'm handling the inside pitch really well. Oh wait, they're doing something to you know change that up. How how constant is the game of cat and mouse? I think our adjustments come every five minutes, every ten minutes. I mean, I think people take for granted as a baseball player what's going on in their heads. Um, we we adjust every pitch, um, whether you're on defense or you're hitting or you're in the dugout. Um, we're adjusting in the batting cages, getting ready for a day. We're adjusting the way we put our uniform on because maybe that the day before you went 0 for 4. We're adjusting the way we eat or what we eat on a single daily basis. I think the 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 animal of a baseball player is who can adjust better. So for me, yeah, like we're adjusting every single day at all times of the day. As you get farther into that Padres tenure, you start you start hitting the DL. Um, a few times you have, you know, random things like what is the day to day of life on the deal and how much, how much pressure, you know, is there on yourself to get back out there maybe before you're ready or to, to get playing? What is the, you know, what frustrations go into that? It was frustrating because my DL stints in San Diego were something that I didn't do on myself. You know, it was, I got hit by a pitch on the wrist. Boom. There you go. 12 weeks out. Then I come back kind of, you know, injured. I ended up finishing the season. The next year, I'm feeling great at the plate. Everything's good. Boom. Break my shoulder blade on a hit by pitch. Then I ended up uh, breaking my hand uh, on another, on a, on a swing hit by, on a hit by, on the hit by pitch. I ended up breaking my, my, my tendon. So I had surgery on that. So it was a lot of uh, things that unfortunately happened in a baseball game. I didn't do it like pulling a hamstring or pulling an oblique or, you know, things that, that you can 
kind of take care of a little bit. Um, it was it was crazy, man. It was like I, I just wanted to be able to play because I knew that my talents were good enough to play and be a, a good solid major leaguer. So it was it was definitely tough. It was definitely tough. You you move on to the A's. Uh, you traded the A's. Your first season with the A's is solid. You're you're finally healthy. Um, you know you put together a solid major league season. Your second season, where did these bombs come from? Like was it was it uh, was it game plan? Was it finally two years of health? Was it because you knew the All Star game was going to be in Miami that year? Like <laughs> where did that come from? I think it was all of it. You know, I think going into my first year in Oakland, I was just trying to get stay healthy all year. You know, I didn't care what type of year I had. I just wanted to stay healthy. And then once I was able to do that, then I can really see for a long year, okay, who I, I was as a baseball player. And that offseason, I went into a huge uh, mechanical change, not only in my swing, but just mentally as well. Like where I went into, you know, I hit the weights and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to outbeast this animal like i'm just going to be stronger than the game mentally physically you know swing wise like i'm just going to be stronger than the baseball i'm going to be stronger than the bat i'm using like that was literally the mentality i i, I went in as i went in as a, as a lion like I, I needed to just go hunt every single day and and i think a lot of that i had to do i was going to be a free agent like it was i'm either going all out and i'm pretty much if I don't get a job the next year, then I can go home happily knowing that I did it my way. You know, I went in all out and, you know, it, it worked out for me. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you uh, you hit 20 home runs at the break. You make your first all-star team and the, the, the game is in Miami. What is what's all-star? I mean, it's your first all-star weekend. So that's already a big, you know, a, a big thing. It's a big milestone. The all-star weekend in your home city. What what's that like for the hometown guy when you're you know, you're going I would assume on a, a normal visit to Miami for, you know, a series to play the Marlins, you get to see your family and everything. What's it like when you're an all-star? It was uh four days of no sleeping at all. <laughs> um four days of just <laughs> enjoying myself uh with my family, uh all my friends. Um you know, I, I had a hundred tickets for, for the home run derby. I had a hundred tickets for, um, the game. Uh, everybody had, I had a hundred jerseys. Um, everybody got a Jersey and I just took it all in. Like, you know, like this is home. Um, I made it like I, I was, it was my gift to all the people in Miami and a gift obviously to my parents and my family a gift of everything that they had to sacrifice for myself and those long, you know, road trips and those long sacrifice days where my dad, like, you know, I would ask him, come, come on, let's go practice. And he was probably exhausted from cleaning offices and he would come and have the time to, to throw batting practice to me. So I think it was more of a gift from me to them, um, knowing that that hard work was finally here and paid off. And, and, and we were having the first all-star game in Miami and here I was in it. And you got two knocks. I had two knocks. I had a stolen base, which I'm I'm super uh, happy about the stolen base. I was gonna say, how many st how many steals did you have in your career? I don't know. I I don't know. I think like twenty something, you know. So twenty two. That's for a first baseman. That's pretty good. Yeah, twenty two stolen base. I would take my spots. You know, I would pick my spots on that. Um, once we came up, I became a like a, a real power hitter. I wasn't stealing as much. They were like, yo yo. They were like, very save your legs, save your legs. So. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and I just couldn't believe I went two for two. Um, I was just so happy. I was playing free. It was like, I would, it, it, you know, like playing in the All-Star game and playing at home in Miami and like the excitement you feel like you have such an adrenaline rush that you don't feel like you are playing. Like you don't feel like you're in control. You feel like a higher power is in control of your body and you're just like, you're just in for the roller coaster ride. Like, you know, it's going to be a great day, regardless if you go 0 for 2 or you go 2 for 2. Like, you just know that it is like playing like a pickup game, you know, because it doesn't count, right? It doesn't count. But it's like playing a pickup game where you just go and you can just let loose and do whatever you want and have fun and just let yourself show out for, for the people that are watching. So I, I really enjoy that. So no nerves at the All-Star game? 
I had no nerves. I I had um I had zero nerves. You know, I was just so happy because I was able to take. You know, at at that day in the All Star facilities, they didn't let any family members or parents or nobody like nobody could come with you. But somehow, some way, my dad was with me the whole time. Like he was in the clubhouse with me. We were eating together. We did team pictures together. We did the home run derby together. So for me and my dad, and I'm, he was the only guy, the only dad that was there, um, he was with me the whole time. And, and I was just looking at him like, how crazy is this that we're here? You know, or like the bus ride from the hotel to the stadium. Like I thought for me, the bus ride to the stadium, I had tears like going down during that bus ride because, you know, you, you go into the city of Miami and the bus ride is so cool and unique because it's, it's like a two o'clock. Miami at two o'clock is jam packed with people and traffic everywhere. So when you're when you're on that bus, there is no traffic. You're getting escorted by the police and you're and you're seeing all these places that you would either, you know, clean an office or run through when you were trying to go to the Orange Bowl games, the football games, because the stadium, the baseball stadium is there now. Or you would go and like, you know, I remember I would get the bus, you know, on A Street um when i was younger with my mom so you go through a street and like for me it was just like all of that taking all of that in and then looking around and seeing the best players in the game at that time and here's my dad next to me on top of that so like for me that was the nerve-wracking part like that was the part where i kind of broke and i was like just taking it all in tears coming down my eyes and like just so happy and so like proud of you know just everybody in general um that for me was was the moment where once i got to the stadium it was like that's it all right have fun you know because this is only going to happen one time so have fun you don't know when it's gonna it's going to happen again so just really enjoy it and and have a good time with with everybody it was my favorite story of that all-star weekend and especially you know after the fact reading your players tribune piece um that's awesome that your your dad got to participate in all that that's just great um, you, you wrap that season, you have that little Mariners stint, but then you, you hit free agency for the first time. You're coming off your best season. It's a chance to, to finally cash in like it is for every baseball player who hits free agency. But you've also at that point had never played in a postseason game. What were you hoping to get out of free agency? Like when that season ended, what was kind of your, your dream scenario? A, a team, you know, a, <laughs> yeah. team. a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, you, people think that like going to free agency, you know, you're going to have eight teams lined up and they're all going to be just, you know, pleasing and asking you for, for please to come to my team. Like, that's just not how it works. Um, because at that point you're 30 or 31, 30, 31. And I'm stressed out of my mind. Every day is a different phone call. Every day is, you know, I'm just freaking out. You know, like, am I going to have a job? Am I going to have to go to a team and have to do this all over again, which I had no problem with. I'm always going to bet on myself. But um, I had my son and I was like just trying to make ends meet in, in the sense of like what's going to my future look like. And luckily, you know, Cleveland came around and uh, we were able to get a deal done. Um, and, yeah, it was my first time. Uh, it was a winning team. And it was my first time uh, being in the postseason. What's the difference in a clubhouse on a winter, especially in like August and September? Because I assume on some of those, you know, those Padres teams that things were kind of bleak in August. Yeah, you know, I think I, I, I don't know, because I think going from um, a team who who in Oakland where every win was just we enjoyed every win, right? Every win, we enjoyed them. Um and, and I'm not saying that Cleveland didn't enjoy every win. I'm just saying that it was so expected. Like, we were so good. Like, we had Cy Young winners, and we had, you know, nine-time All-Stars and six-time All-Star and MVP caliber player in Lindor. And, you know, Tito Francona is one of the best managers to ever manage uh, the game of baseball. Um, you had Sandy Alomar, who was a first-base coach. Like, the list goes on and on and on. And I think the city of Cleveland – just got used to the, that run of four or five years of just like expecting the guys to be in the playoffs every year, expecting the guys to win 95 to 100 games. And that was like, that's not easy to do. Um, but so I think like, you know, it was, it was just an expected 
team that was going to win every day. And, and it was like that that is a, a great feeling, but a, and also a fun pressured feeling into that into the the this is what we expect out of you. So we're a winner and, and you have to go to work every single day and, and produce. What brings more pressure, an A B in the postseason or one in the college world series? Oh, the postseason is not, <laughs> not even a question. That's not even a question. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it because of who you're facing? <laughs> yeah, it's Justin Verlander and he's on top of his game as soon as he steps foot into that field to go warm up in the mound. Yeah, it's game on, man. It's lights on. Yeah, it's lights on. It's it's definitely lights on. So when you're facing an ace, like an ace, like a first ballot, like a Verlander, a Scherzer, um, you know, a guy who is on his game, a, a, just a step above every other pitcher in baseball. There's like there's four or five of those guys at one time, you know, every year. What's the game plan when they've got four out pitches? Look, I th- these guys th- that series, man. I didn't get a hit. All right. I played in two of the three. We got swept. So we only played three games. But that series was just they were attacking your weakness from the minute you stepped on the plate. And when I'm talking about executing, they were executing so good that I was going back inside the dugout. And and as soon as my first at bat, my first at bat, I was like, oh, boy, like, man, like we're we're in for we're in for a a fight it's gonna be nasty and and to be honest like it wasn't even a fight like it wasn't even fair right we ended up years later knowing like what they were doing and we had no chance like we were in a boxing match and the other fighter had blocks inside their mittens all right and we were just on a regular cool and easy just trying to box with these guys like we had no chance right we were getting knockout blows from the minute Verlander threw the first pitch to the minute that Altuve stepped foot on the uh, 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 on that plate. Like we we had no chance. So, and and their ability to play the game of baseball is just on another level. I mean, these guys are good players. They're they're Verlander is considered as the top for me. I think Verlander is like the top of the top when it comes to pitchers. So, um, he was on top of his game, and Cole was really on top of his game. So. Um, it was, it was, it was a battle from the beginning. I mean, we had no chance, but I mean, both those guys were, it was, it was crazy. I mean, that, that series in that, that stretch made Garrett Cole a, a lot of money. Listen, Verlander, like the first pitch of that game, I'll never forget. It was to, it was to Lindor and it was a hundred miles an hour. And I was like, all right, first pitch of the game, a hundred. And he stayed, he, I think he pitched seven that day and his last pitch was 98. You know, like he he was on top of his game, so that was that's postseason for you, where you know the 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 crowd is rocking during batting practice. I mean, it is on. So after that after that year, um, you traded to the White Sox. The numbers, you know, the numbers aren't great. When you've been a first round pick, a top prospect, an all star, you know, a solid regular in baseball for a long time, how do you grapple with with age for not you know not performing as you're used to? Yeah, it's just a grind. It's unfortunate. You know, you you don't think you're going to have a bad year. And you're always trying to tinker and trying to make it better every single day. I think for me more, it was more mentally than anything else. Being from uh, an everyday first baseman to to then not starting as much at first base and just being a DH type of guy. The DH role for me was a whole different animal. Um, and, and I struggled with that. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. I try to make the best of it. Um, I try to help out my teammates every day. Uh, I try to come to work every single day with the same attitude, uh, positive attitude and not let what happened yesterday distract me for today from today. So it, it didn't work out. Um, but you know what? I, I think that taking back what I gave to those guys, especially the young guys was the attitude and the work ethic every single day to not take one single day in the big leagues for granted. So, um, I still talk to a lot of those guys over there and they, they really just obviously respect what, what I brought to the game every single day. And, um, I'm just very happy about that. Yeah. It's a young, talented group over there. Yeah. Really as, are. As, as a twins fan, they're going to haunt me for years. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looking, looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, fun. it is. No, it's a, it's a young, exciting division. It is, it is good things for the AL central. Um, so 2020, uh, 
obviously, I don't think it needs to be said. 2020, just not a cool year in general. Um, you do, you know, you, you go to camp with the Braves. There's, you know, then the season gets paused. You get outrighted. Um, you get picked up again. When did when did like retirement actually start to creep in your head? When did you think that was going to be the move? You know, for me, retirement started like a couple years before that. Um, I just felt like, you know, my, my, my kids are getting older and I was like missing a lot of time with them. So for me, it was like, man, like, you know, going away for so long and doing these things, you know, I just felt like, like it was, it was, it was getting to that time and my body was just, wasn't holding up the way that I wanted it to hold up. The training for me was really when I first realized like this, this, this is not going well. And I remember reading books on Kobe and reading books on Tom Brady and, and, and both of them saying like, you know, you know, when it's, it's time to go, when your training is just not the same anymore, you know, and Michael Jordan would say that as well. And for me, like that was where I, I lost the edge and I lost the love for, for the actual training. So that's when I was like, you know, I think, I think we got to have that talk where, where it's, it's about that time. And, and I was so, I was happy to do it. Um, you know, a lot of people, they don't have the pleasure of saying like, I, I'm retiring. Um, some people may have like, they feel like they have a, a lot left in their tank. That wasn't the case for me at all. Like for me, I was, I was relieved. Like I was happy because I was proud of, of the career I had, you know, coming from a, a country where, you know, being here with my parents with not a, a single dollar in our pocket. And, and, you know, it was kind of like, look at us now, you know, um, if we can do it, anybody else can do it. And, and that's the way that I took the retirement into where it was, I was very happy that I was finally going to be uh, moving, moving on with another chapter in, in my life and, and hopefully uh, having another career uh, wherever that is. So your the Players Tribune article you wrote was talking to your nine-year-old self. Your the 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 version of yourself leaving Cuba that night. Right. If you if you could go back and talk to your twenty-one-year-old self, the guy who you know had just signed with the Reds out of Miami, is there anything you wish you would have known in retrospect before signing? Anything you tell that version of yourself uh, to to better prepare for for life in the in pro ball? Um. You know. I yes yes. Uh. I think. Enjoy enjoy the minor leagues a little bit more than what I did. Uh, I was so caught up in in trying to you know get to the big leagues, which is not a bad thing, right? The, the end goal is to get there. But I think you got to fall in love with the process, and you have to fall in love with you know the the camaraderie with the guys in the in the in the locker room. You gotta you, you have to have fun with. The bus rides you have to even though they're not fun right like people don't know you're going to be 13 hours on a bus that's not fun but you have to try to find as much positivity as you can in the minor leagues so that way you understand that that each step it's just the the ice cream gets a little better and the ice cream gets a little better and and you're just not always like you get to a place and you're like when can i get out of here to the next step and I think if you fall in love with that process and you understand that, you know, today you're here, today we're going to be the best version of yourself and not look to not look to tomorrow, you're going to 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 be better for for the player that you are. More is going to come out of you. So I think for me, I, I was a little bit caught up in that sense of, you know, when I'm, it's tomorrow, my phone going to ring to go up. Um and, and that for me was like just an, an urge. I, it was like I was I was playing games on myself when in reality, like I needed 800, 900 at bats before they can even think about, hey, is this guy ready to get to the big leagues or not? So, Yonder, I got a little rapid fire for you and then I'll let you get out of here. All right. Favorite MLB ballpark? Well, you know, it, it's, it's besides Petco Park, it's got to be Wrigley Field because I hit my first home run there. Okay. It made, made up for the for the inside the parker. It did. It sure did. Uh, we might have just answered this one, but best pitcher you ever faced? Oh, I mean, look, there's a lot of guys. Um, there's definitely a lot of guys. Verlander's definitely up there. Favorite home run you ever hit? My favorite home run, which, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough one to say because he's a dear friend of mine, but I hit a winning home run against Chapman in Yankee Stadium um, on the t- in the 10th inning. It's a good guy to get it off. Right. Was it off heat? It was 101 miles an hour. Whew. Whew. 
Um, you just mentioned something like this, but uh, worst minor league bus ride story. Do you have a Do you have a nightmare story? Because there's some nightmare. Yeah, minor man, I stories. have one. We went from Zebulon, North Carolina, to Jacksonville. No, I'm sorry, it was Mobile, and our bus broke down halfway. There's always a good bus breaking down story. No, the, the bus worked, but we had no AC. Um, so it was a night. It was a night ride, and we ended up, you know, opening up the windows, and everybody stayed up because we just couldn't. We couldn't fall asleep. It was so loud in there. Um, everybody pretty much stayed up, uh, and you know, we didn't have bat. The good thing about it is, <laughs> everybody found out. We didn't have batting practice for for the next week. We it was a show and go for the next week. So um, we were all so exhausted. I think we lost that whole week. We lost six games. We didn't. We won one game, um, and and it was all the first like three or four were blowout blowouts. Hopefully, for the sake of minor leaguers, those days of of bad travel, right? Are, uh, it was are on terrible. their way out. Um, you get a day at the beach at one one of your former playing stops. Do you pick Miami, San Diego, or Waikiki? Oh man, that's tough. You know Miami, man. I, you know I, I live here. You can't can't go wrong with Miami. Would you rather beat Florida or Florida State? Oh, that's that's a good one. No, for me, you know, anytime you beat Florida State, that that's a treat. Okay. It could be in basketball, ping pong, volleyball. I don't care. All right, if, if we beat Florida State, we're happy. The last few years in football must be very nice for you. Then it's a it's... great it's a great treat. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Last one I've got for you. Best Cuban restaurant in Miami. There's so many. And I feel like every month another one pops up. But right now, there's a spot called Sazon, which is uh, seasoning in English. And it's uh, it's here in Miami Beach. Uh, I would like to say Collins in like 80 seconds. So if anybody's in Miami, Miami Beach, and wants to get some really good Cuban food, go there. If not, uh, there, you know, you can't go wrong with La Carreta or Versailles uh, on 8th Street. I mean, that's that's a trophy winner here in, in the city of Miami for Cuban food. I was going to ask about Cafe Versailles. Yonder, Alonzo, thank you so much for joining for Fiend of the Farm. Really appreciate it. This was Absolutely, awesome. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. Anytime. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Again, a huge thanks to Yonder Alonzo for taking the time, stopping by, talking about his career. Uh, if you enjoyed this one, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review if you are on Apple Podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all your amateur and prospect news. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday, so we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.